You're listening to the Gate Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. If you've been following along with us throughout our Freedom Series, then you'll be aware that we're drawing close to the end of the book of Galatians. We've already got into chapter 6, which is the last chapter. And believe it or not, uh, today's the day. Uh, Here we are. We've arrived at the end of the book of Galatians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. And uh, so it's my privilege to be reading the last uh, few verses which make up Paul's conclusion to this letter. Um, Now, if you are joining us here for the first time and you feel like, great, I've just came in for the credits of the movie, you know, I missed everything because it's the conclusion, fear not. This is actually an excellent uh, week to be here because, as we'll see in the conclusion to Galatians, Paul uh, has quite a comprehensive summary of what he has said in the letter. And uh, so this is good for us if we're new to the book, and it's good for us as we come back to uh, wrap it up as well. Uh, So with that said, I I pray that we would be uh, paying attention, as as has been prayed already before, just that our hearts would be uh, open and soft to hearing God's word together. Um, I'll invite you to turn in your Bible or your apps to Galatians with me if you have one of those with you. Um, As I said, we'll be in chapter 6, and I'll be starting at verse 11, reading through to the end. This is Paul speaking to the church. Uh, See with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be among them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. On March 7th, uh, 2014, that's just over five years ago, uh, our lead pastor and my Facebook friend, Greg Esselmont, uh, posted to his profile something that I managed to actually find and thought I would share with you this morning. If Johnny has it there, thank you. So uh, this is Galatians 6.11. See with what large letters I used to write to you with my own hand. And then the important part is the hashtag. I don't know if you can see it. It says hashtag original, all caps. So Greg's been waiting five years to get to uh, preach this verse and make this joke about verse 11, how Paul's saying, I'm writing with such large letters, hashtag the original, all caps. And uh, poor Greg, he doesn't get to be here to, you know, teach on it. So I gave him my word that I would uh, honor him by digging this up and sharing it with us this morning from verse 11, the original all caps, and it's true. Uh, there are, you know, different ideas about why Paul would say this, you know, see with what large letters I'm writing to you. 
Some people say it's because his eyesight was poor, um, which he alludes to, and that could be a part of it. Another theory is that Paul just was really bad at writing, and so that's why he uses giant letters. But this is highly unlikely, given that he was um, quite educated. And so I stand by uh, Pastor Greg's idea uh, with the reason as to why he's using such large letters. It's to get his point across with emphasis, right? He wants to emphasize what he's saying. We could say that he's yelling it at us. <laughs> if you've you know, heard some of the rest of Galatians, we're not too surprised to, to think, imagine that Paul would be yelling at us because he's so passionate about this message. In fact, he's so passionate that rather than write a short and simple conclusion, which he does in many of his other letters, this one is pretty long. Um, he, it's, it's not just business keeping and God bless you. It's, it's, uh, it's a, like I said, a summary of what he's been saying through the whole book, and he wants to um, communicate it again in his own hand. Which means that up until this point, uh, it's not Paul that's been writing, and this is normal. It's been someone else that's been writing for him, right? He's been speaking the letter, and the scribe has been taking notes. And so for the conclusion, as is customary, he takes the pen. He wants to write in his own handwriting his final words and get his point across. So this is not a conclusion that we should gloss over or just quickly read to to finish. Yeah, yeah, you know, we've heard it. Okay. See you later. No, there's something here for the Galatian church to pay close attention to, and certainly for us today as we pay attention as well. It's urgent, it's important, and possibly to be read, imagining it spoken at a high volume. Caps lock. Caps lock or all caps. Um, So... Let's move on from verse 11. We'll talk about verses 12 to 13. We'll just kind of be going through the chapter this morning uh, and seeing what God has for us there. And so in verses 12 to 13, here we are where Paul is again talking about circumcision. And the reason that he comes back to this time and time again and that we've discussed it time and time again is because this is at the center of the argument or the problem that this church is having, isn't it? It's that there are influential people in the community who say to Christians that, yes, Christianity is great. It's, it's you know, the way. However, and then they go on to explain that in order to actually be saved by God, you have to continue to or actually begin to live according to Jewish customs and follow the Old Testament law and so on and so forth, um, the, the beginning of which is, is uh, symbolized by the act of circumcision. So that's why he's talking about it. And he's been talking about it through the letter, and he brings it up in this conclusion. I'll read that. He says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. They force you to be circumcised. It's only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised, they don't keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. So basically, Paul's calling them out for one final time. He wants to twist the knife. He's calling them cowards, right? He's saying... Um, they're, they're doing this as a way of avoiding the persecution that would come along with uh, the testimony of the cross itself. Further, these teachers don't actually care about the gospel of Jesus. They just care about looking good in their context and, and, and appealing to those who are putting pressure on them to follow the Jewish religion. They're seeking religious approval above everything else, and they're trying to drag you into that. 
So Paul says, forget those. Forget those who want to add to or subtract from the gospel of Jesus. Their motives aren't pure. The truth is not in them because it's been twisted. They care mostly just about looking good, and they don't care about the kingdom of God. If they did care about God's kingdom, then they would understand the the, the larger message and the bigger picture of the kingdom of God and how Jesus has made a way for all people, wouldn't they? So as we progress into verse 14, uh, we find Paul returning to the cross of Christ. Another idea which Paul has been circling back to again and again and repeating in this letter. He says, far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So this verse is where I kind of wanted to settle in for a few minutes this morning and discuss. So here we, first we had, you know, Paul's description of the Jewish influencers and how he sees what they're doing. And here he opposes himself in contrast and, and what, how the church should be in contrast to those types of people. There are those who will tell us to pursue religious acclaim or, or personal security or whatever it may be. But Paul says his only reason to actually boast comes from the cross on which Jesus was crucified. Now, thousands of years later, we're here today in Lethbridge, Alberta. It's easy for us to forget or misunderstand the context in which Paul makes this claim, right? Much like it's easy for us to get confused or lose sight of what he's talking about with the circumcision and all that stuff. When he says he wants to boast in the cross, what's significant about this? Because, I don't know about you, but when I hear about boasting in the cross, I think, well, of course, uh, as a Christian, right, the cross is all over the place. We've got a beautiful cross on our wall here. We have crosses on our signs and, and logos. They're probably on your Bible somewhere. Some of us have tattoos or we wear a cross around our neck, something like this. And so it's symbolic to us. And I think that all of this is relatively good because of what it means, right, what the cross symbolizes for us. It's everything. It's where Jesus died for our sins, and we get that. But there is a probability that we're a little bit too comfortable with the idea of the cross and what was happening in that day when Jesus died and the the day when uh, Paul says that he would boast in the cross. With that said, Paul's claim that he would only boast in the cross is a strange thing to say. It's foolish And indeed, it's dangerous for him to boast in the cross. Most of us know the cross was um, a device for torture. Uh, It was a a way of crucifying and ending the life of the worst criminals. It was the lowest form of death. It was the complete and utter disgrace. It was despised. Um, In fact, in a proper Roman conversation, and the cross was the Roman idea, they wouldn't even say the word cross to one another because it was so despised. It was truly a curse word. It's not something you'd mention in conversation. You wouldn't bring it up at the dinner table. 
Don't even speak about it. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. So it's in this, I guess, mindset or our cultural understanding that Paul makes this announcement. I'm going to boast in the cross and only that. This is a wild thing for him to say. Uh, he speaks to this in more detail in his letter to the Corinthians. First Corinthians 1, 18 to 23 says this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of that which is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, an offense to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. So we can see how the kingdom of heaven is so opposite to the worldly order of things. Paul says that God was pleased to save those who believe in what others consider foolishness, in, in a thing which others would be offended by or, or, or pushed away by the idea of. God was pleased to save those who believe what others consider foolish. Our salvation is not based on our wisdom. It's not based on our re- religious perfection or performance for God or, or outward signs or any other thing. We're saved by the cross, the humiliating death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This was an offense then, and in a sense, I think it still needs to be an offense Today, or we've lost sight of what really happened there. And um, as we've already read in 6.12, we see that the idea certainly offended people in Paul's situation. Uh, There were those who were being uh, persecuted for their association with the cross of Christ. And, and, you know, they were trying to find ways of avoiding it. Um, That persecution has never stopped since Jesus' death. It's been happening ever since and continues today. So this is the thing that Paul says that he'll boast in. It's the cross of Jesus. So if we want to take Paul as our example, what would it mean for us? How can we possibly begin to be like him in in this way? How can we say, I will boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus. I think for Paul, he can honestly say this for a couple of reasons, or for lots of reasons, but there's two main ones that I see. And the, the first one is, Paul boasts in the cross because it, it was personal for him. He knows the one who was crucified there, doesn't he? Jesus showed up to Paul in his life in the most amazing way and completely changed it. So the cross was not 
a meaningless symbol for Paul, but a personal one. It's not just a religious object for him, but it's a thing on which his Savior died. It has to be the same for us if we want to say, yes, I'll boast in the cross. We, We can boast in the cross because we also actually know the person who died there. He's alive. He's real. We know him. It wasn't some random guy that they killed on the cross who we just try to, you know, vaguely follow. He's, we have a relationship with God through Jesus. It was our teacher, our friend, our beloved Savior, the Son of God himself who died on that cross, Jesus. We know the one who died on the cross, so we truly do have a real reason to boast about it, to speak about it, right, with authority and conviction and passion to anyone who would listen. We know the one who died there. And I guess beyond that, what's more is we can also boast in the cross of Christ, and certainly Paul does, because we're able to understand a little bit of the power of what happened there, right? Again, it wasn't just someone that they hung because they didn't like him and, and it's just a cool story or something. No, this was a pow- the powerful event in the course of human history. It changed everything. Like we read in 1 Corinthians, the cross is the power of God to us who are being saved, which is interesting. A, th- a thing which was so despised and hated and looked down upon. You you wouldn't even talk about the cross. In God's kingdom, this is the power to save us. This is the thing which has the power to save us. And in our minds, we can't even begin to understand and wrap our heads around the significance of what happened there. Jesus' sacrifice and atonement for sin. We can't understand the way that his death put an end to death in our world. And yet, we know that it's on the cross that we've been given freedom from these things. Freedom, that's the word we've talked about for months now, and and we've been learning about how this all works. It all happened at the cross. As Paul said in verse 6.14, it's because of the cross, we've been made new, right? We have salvation, new life because of the cross. So yes, the Christian testimony should absolutely boast of the cross. We can be like Paul in this way in choosing to boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll read verse 14 again, 614. Uh, But far be it for me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So that second half of his statement where he said, because he says that three things are crucified. He said Jesus was crucified on the cross. But then he says the world's been crucified and I himself also has been crucified to the world. So first of all, what this means is we understand how the sinful world is now dead to us. Our lives are, we've been set free. We're no longer ruled by what we would call worldly things or Paul calls things of the flesh. So we're not compelled by sin. We're not driven by selfishness. And, and we, don't, we aren't thrown off and distracted by temporary things. The world is crucified to us in Jesus' crucifixion on that day. 
and further in our boasting on the cross, then we've also been crucified to the world. This means that we are separated from those things that we used to know, right? The things of the flesh, that's no longer what defines us, but rather the spirit in us as we walk, the fruit of the spirit, which we talked about in chapter 5. And 5.24, Paul said, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is the point that he's repeating. But I don't want us to miss the miraculous result of this, right? The result is that you and I are inwardly transformed by Jesus' death on the cross. Inwardly and outwardly. Not only is the old self dead, but praise God, we're made alive, right? We're raised with Christ in his resurrection. Thanks be to God. As he says in 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now we may be surprised to read this voice and hear uh, this verse and hear Paul say that circumcision is basically irrelevant, but that's kind of the point. Right? This is what he's combating. He's saying when you take things that aren't important and you make them important and you start using them as ways of, of keeping people out of God's kingdom or, or, or whatever, elevating yourself above or below other people. No, stop that. That's not what matters. What matters is a new creation. Whoever you are, you're blessed by the name of Jesus and welcomed by God into his kingdom because of his grace on you. And this is awesome. This is also a thing which we can't do for ourselves. We can't make ourselves into a new creation. In fact, I would say that's what the Judaizers were attempting partially to do with their uh, addition to the gospel. They would be trying to work for their own salvation. And this isn't something that we can accomplish. Uh, Paul describes it in Second Corinthians for us. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, through who Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. This is an amazing passage. There's a lot of truth in it, and we quote it often in church. But the point with what Paul's teaching us in Galatians that I wanted to reiterate is we're being made new through the power of God, not by the religious effort on our behalf. We're reconciled to God because he loved us enough to make it happen. Didn't he? So when we hang on to this, the good news, and this is how transformation begins, new creation, regeneration. I love how Paul said it in verse 17 from that Second Corinthians passage. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Behold, you can imagine if he was writing in his own handwriting, it'd probably be pretty big. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is 
the life that we've been gifted by the God who loves us. Thank you, Lord. Um, I was reading N.T. Wright's comments on the conclusion of Paul's letter, and I wanted to share just part of it with us this morning because I really like what he said. He says, with the cross of Jesus, the old world is born, meaning that Jesus is the creator. The old world is born, and the new one is promised. How then can anyone who's glimpsed Jesus as the crucified Messiah wants to cling to the values, the identity markers, the way of life of the world that's already been pronounced dead on the cross? What matters is that God has unleashed upon the world his own new creation. And through the gospel of Jesus invites us all to share equally in its blessings, its new life, its promises for the future. So it's been our prayer through in and throughout, but I I pray that through this series of Galatians that you've again and again seen that glimpse of Jesus which compels us to understand and causes our hearts to, to leap for joy, really, at what Jesus has done for us, what we have been freed from. I pray that in this service this morning, we've gotten glimpses of Jesus in our worship, in our fellowship, our love, anything that we have that's any good at all in church is through and from Jesus Christ. Right? I, I pray that our hearts would be continuing, as I said, to respond to God's invitation to live in the new life and to share its blessings today and, and with him in his glory forever. Back to Galatians six sixteen, Paul says, May God's peace and mercy truly be among you. May it be among us. He says, For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be among them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God, as Paul taught in quite a bit of as, as Paul had taught in earlier in the book, the Israel of God is uh, the church. He described that to us, how true Israel uh, is, is brought to God, not through lineage and ethnicities and, and even religion. It's, it's brought by God's grace and our faith. And so when Paul says, peace and mercy among them, upon the Israel of God, that's, that's to the church. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, the marks on his body are almost definitely the, the wounds that he's received as punishment and persecution for associating with the cross. Um, if you're curious about that in more detail, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul's experiences, he kind of goes through a, just a uh, quick and easy list of the things that have happened to him as he's traveled around and spread the gospel and worked in the kingdom, including things like being whipped and beat, lost at sea, constant danger, um, and more. Uh, the point being is that as Christians today, are we so compelled by the cross that we're willing to move forward, not in fear and avoidance of different kinds of persecution? Are we willing to pursue the freedom of God, which he's graciously given to us, 
though it will cost us temporarily? Will we choose to boast in the cross of Christ, though it is foolishness to the world? Now, of course, the answer to these questions will look uh, different in our lives and our stories, and they'll change as we move forward. But once again, I will remind us that this is not about comparing ourselves to Paul you know, and, and measuring up to him. It's never been about that, although there is that sort of implication or temptation because we do see him as an example. But it's Jesus who we follow, and it's Jesus who Paul followed, and so that's why it works for us to have him as an example, but don't be discouraged. Instead, I urge us to simply come to the cross, uh, to catch that glimpse of Jesus and be changed because of what happened there. To think about and understand that you have been given the most priceless gift as Jesus offered his life in exchange for our sin. We've been freed. We've been set free by the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. So let us continue to take hold of it as individuals and as the church empowered to do this by his Holy Spirit.